I Have a Dream, MLK's Impact on American Culture, The Benefit of the Doubt, and Irish Elections. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent, you come for the Frenzy Frenzy accent, and you stay for the principles. Wow, what a week in America, huh? What a week around the world. And instead of boring you today with commentary on what you guys have heard countless times this week, you know, you've heard about, oh my God, the rally in Richmond. Oh my God, the white supremacists are out. I'm sure you've heard all the headlines and all the talking points and all the lies and the spin about what's happened in D.C. this week. You've heard from countless hosts on all sides talking about impeachment. Will the Democrats get their smoking gun? Or will the Republicans finally find a spine among those senators that are all there and actually do what is right? But I don't want to talk to you about any of that. I don't want to talk to you about what happened in D.C. this week. Because quite honestly, I'm sure I have the same feelings that most of you had, and it made me absolutely sick. You know, I've had it up to my stomach where I hear people in D.C. talk about the founders, where I hear people in D.C. talk about the Constitution, when I hear people in D.C. talk about honoring what legacy your founders fought for and what they gave you when they want to honor it by doing the right thing, by impeaching Donald A. Trump. Quite honestly, I want to get the nearest barf bag. So I don't want to talk to you about what happened in D.C. this week, but I do want to talk to you about what happened in D.C. several years ago. And what I want to do today is I want to read something to you. And I would ask you just to sit back, switch off whatever you're listening to or whatever TV's on, Stop reading what you're reading and just sit back and listen to a great man speak. Because this is not me as been a great man. This is one of your people who shaped your country. And this is a long speech, so I'll ask you to bear with me. It'll probably take me six, seven minutes to read. But I think you need to hear these words right here, right now, today. Because this is crucial. You understand what country you are. So here we go. The words of a great man. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. 
This momentous decree is a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who have been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to the end, the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro is still not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still badly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on an only, a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own lands. So we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note into which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check. A check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check. A check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hollowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. There is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquility the tranquilization drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make the real promise of democracy. Now is the real time to rise from the dark and desolated valley of segregation to the sunlit path of radical justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fateful for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moments. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the, nation, the foundations of our nation until the, until the bright days of justice emerge. And that is something I must say to my people who stand on the worn threshold which leads to the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. 
We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has now engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to distrust all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. They have come to realize that their freedom is is instructively bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their adulthood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and the Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied. And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of prosecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, though, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, son of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day in Alabama, with its vicious races, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day, right there in Alabama, 
Little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will one day be free. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of pilgrims pride. From every mountainside let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the prestigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening algaries of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that. Let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mohill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. When we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every city and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, Free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, we are free at last. As I'm sure 99.9% of you guessed, those are the words of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and his famous I Have a Dream speech. So why did I start today's show by reading you those words? Because I want to talk to you a lot this year about the future of your nation, about where you're going, about what type of country you are really going to be. Because if you're a long-term listener, you know I don't see America the way a lot of people do, especially when it comes to your politics. I don't see it as left versus right or rich versus poor or black versus white. I see your country in, in a battle, in a war, in a war that this world has known since day one. A war of people who are yearning to be free versus people who seek to control them, who seek to dehumanize people who are different. You know, if you want to talk about this world, whether you're a Christian and or a Jew and think the world is 6,000 years old, or you want to think you don't believe in God and you think this world is 6 billion years old, or whatever the number is. The history of man 
while it doesn't repeat itself, it sure as hell rhymes. Whether you believe the stories in the Bible are true or whether you just think they're stories, there is meaning to them and we are living out those meaning as we speak. Whether it's the story of Cain and Abel, am I my brother's keeper? Whether it's the story of Moses leading the children of Israel out of captivity and then going, hey, we, I know we were, weren't happy under, you know, in Egypt, but at least we had meat. We are seeing the stories time and time again. Your nation has a lot of questions to answer right now. And a lot of them revolve around one common question. What type of country will you be? I've been speaking about this for the last couple of weeks. What seeds will you plant? The fruit that you're witnessing right now, the impeachment of Donald Trump, as much as a farce as it is, those seeds were sown in 2016. There is nothing you can do about it. All you can do is respond. But while you respond and while it's critical, the truth gets out there, you also must be cognizant that it is time to worry about the future. It is time to start planting seeds about what type of nation you want to be. I read those words because those words of Martin Luther King inspire me every time I read them. One of the questions you have to ask yourself is who will you follow? What principles will you guide by? And how will you act? I see a lot of people, and I get it. I'm right there with you, trust me. Just because I don't vocalize it and verbalize it on social media and on here on this show every week, I get your frustration with politics. I get your frustration with DC. I, I, you know, if I may use the president's language, I've been saying DC's a swamp since before Trump ran. You know, there's nothing you can say to me about, well, DC is really bad, John. They're, they're doing this. I'm like, I know. In fact, it's actually a lot worse. You don't need to tell me how much DC sucks. I, I'm right there with you. I've been talking about it for, God, I don't know how long. I'm six years on the blaze now. I wrote for several years before that. I did other shows before this. I've been, I know about DC. I know about your media. It just sickens me. It's disgusting. I get it. But while you have to understand what's going on right now, you have to worry about what you're going to fight for going forward. I share those words with you of Martin Luther King for many reasons. The first is because of rhetoric. You know, if you read the history of the world, again, whether it's 6,000 years or 6 billion years old, man has always found a way to make others feel different. Make others go, oh, you're not, you're not like us. You're, no, 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 no. We're not equal. We're, you're different. You have, you have these things. You know, Irish people have had this. You know, there was a time in your wonderful country, you know, you know, it was no blacks, no, no paddies. That's it. That's part of your history. You know, Irish people have experienced, you know, traumatic things over in your country and other countries as well. You know, there's always been black people who have had that horrifically, horrific stain on, I wouldn't just say America, I'd say the world of slavery. You've seen this with our Jewish brothers and sisters. 
We've seen it with people who had diseases like lepers. No, stay away. You got to have a bell, you know, so you warn people if you're coming. Man has always seek to dehumanize people. And I think not trying to convert you to Christianity, you guys find your own, you know, road in life. But that is why the message of Jesus is so powerful. It's love everyone. Absolutely everyone. It's why the message of when Jesus came back, he didn't hang around with the saved or the good holy people. You know, all the, you know, if Jesus came back today, he wouldn't be hanging around the Christians. He'd probably be hanging around with the Democrats because he didn't, he said, and scripture said, he did, uh, uh, the saved and the healthy have no need for a doctor. It's the others who do. But I ask you to look at slavery. Is there anyone who thinks slavery is anyway, even 1% a noble effort? Oh, there's, well, there's this good part about slavery. Because I don't know any part of it. I think slavery is abhorrent. Whether it's slavery that we're going to talk about now with the, the black people. Chained to boats. Brought up to your nation in the slave trade. Treated like second class citizens. Or whether it's 2020 and we have the sex slave trade where kids are literally sold sometimes by their own parents for a buck so they can have a meal into the sex slave trade. Slavery is wrong. Martin Luther King lived and grew up and he educated himself on what the founding fathers said. And I would ask you, while this is impossible, I'd ask you for a few minutes just to think of yourself as a black person. If you're black and you're listening, this would be rather easy for you. But I'd ask you to think of yourself as a black man or woman growing up in America in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s. And you've seen and you've educated yourself for in some way. It's not an easy thing to do. But you've read these great documents, the Declaration of Independence, where you said, all men are created equal. And you have certain God-given inalienable rights, and among those, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You've read about Abraham Lincoln. You've read about the Civil War. And yet, 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, nothing has changed. You're still a second-class citizen. Your parents were second-class citizens. Your grandparents were probably slaves. Your kids are now growing up, and you're like, I want a better future for them. Isn't that a human condition when you're a parent? You want a better future for tomorrow, for your kids. You know, the amazing thing about parents and about human condition is for the last 100, 150 years, there has always been a great opportunity for kids to have more material stuff than their parents could ever dream of. And yet the parents sacrifice to give their kids that opportunity. Isn't that, that's not an Irish thing, that's not an American thing, that's not a black thing or a white thing or a Christian thing or an atheist thing. Isn't that just a human principle? You want what's best for your kids? But think of yourself as that black parent and you're seeing your kids and you're seeing nothing is changing. In fact, in some ways, things are getting worse because of presidents like Woodrow Wilson and segregation. 
You're not even allowed to sit on the anywhere on a bus that you want. You have to sit in your part of the bus. And even if your part of the bus is full and the white part of the bus is empty, you can't sit there because you're not equal. And I want you to think of the emotions that you feel. Would you be angry? Would you be pissed off? Would you just go, I want some vengeance and I don't care how I get it? Would you go, I am so sick and tired of this country, of these white people? Would you feel those feelings? You're frustrated with your government today. And rightfully so. But I'd ask you to magnify those feelings five times, ten times, a hundred times, to think of how the black man must have felt in 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s America. Now, as you get all those emotions of how angry and upset and hurt you are and how you don't see anything changing, imagine what it must have been like to listen to Martin Luther King. Imagine the bravery I hear this word, oh, it took some great courage. You know, I get sick to my stomach when I hear all these commentators when they watch, when I watch soccer matches or American football or baseball. Oh my God, you hit a home run. How courageous were you to sit in there? That's not courage. It may be great talent. It may be great aptitude. It may be a never give up attitude, but it ain't courage. How brave was Martin Luther King? To say those words. Because he knew the frustrations. He lived the frustrations of the black people. He was one of them. He understood it. This is a man who had every reason to be angry. Every reason to be angry. Every reason to go, you know what? We've tried peaceful protest. We have tried to get our case out there. It just ain't working. Let's just get whitey. If they take one of our lives, we'll take two of theirs. But he didn't. He had every reason to be negative. He had every reason to get sick anytime he heard about America's founders and how great America was. He had justified reason to hate America. But listen to his words. Listen to his words. How often... And how sparingly do you hear those words today, let alone when it actually take courage to say them in the 1960s? Today, we have every reason to be angry. We have every reason to be angry. And let's be honest about it. A lot of people who are involved in social media, in politics, we never waste an opportunity to show how outraged we are, how upset we are. We use every opportunity we have to say, oh, I'm pissed off. And it's over the most minute little things. This week, we're going to talk about some of the news stories in your country this week. But this week, I saw people really outraged in New York. And I'm a Yankees fan, and you know this. About Derek Jeter getting short one vote on the Hall of Fame for being unanimous. That's what you're getting outraged about? That's what you're getting outraged you said, so one person said, I don't think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And you're outraged by that. 
Let's talk about what you should be outraged by. Iran. North Korea. What's happening in D.C.? But no, no, we got to talk about all these things. I saw a big controversy on Twitter on Thursday. Like, oh my God, Prince Charles didn't shake Mike Pence's hand. And he really showed him. Which, by the way, which, if he is showing him, he then shake, shook hands with Vladimir Putin. That's not a slam on Mike Pence. That's not a slam on America. That's not a slam on the Trump administration, which all the media want to make it out to be. That's a slam on Prince Charles. Whether you like Trump or hate Trump, if you're telling me you'd much rather shake hands with Vladimir Putin than Mike Pence, that's on you. That's not a, that's not putting America in its place. That just shows you how stupid and messed up this world is. But that was actually a controversy. All the people tweeting, ha ha, oh, Prince Charles, you're my new BFF, because we all hate the Trump administration. Let's get real. There are serious issues going on in our world right now. We all want to be outraged. But Martin Luther King chose a different path. He chose a path based on principles. And he spoke truth. Because he understood that white principles and black principles are the same when it's based around freedom. When it's based around the principles of nature's law and nature's nature's God. There is no set of rights for white people and black people and then Asian people and then gay people and straight people. Civil rights for black people is the exact same as civil rights for white people as it is for Jewish people. That is the fundamental beauty of the American Constitution, of the Declaration of Independence, and based on the principles of nature's law and nature's God. I would ask you to look around today and ask you to look at yourself as well and ask yourself, are you presenting in the way that Martin Luther King presented his arguments? Go read some of his speeches. Go re-listen to this podcast again and listen to those words. Or maybe better yet, because I'm not the best reader. I'm, I'm a pretty good talker. Reading out loud, as you can tell if you listen, is not my strong point. I'm better off the cuff. Better talking with pit, uh, cliff notes. Not word for word having to read a speech. But go read his speeches and ask yourself, is that someone America needs today? Is that some principle that we can follow? Do we inspire change? Do we talk about coming together? Do we talk about civil rights? Do we talk about honoring America? And understanding those who have come before us sacrificed absolutely everything for where we are today. Are those principles worth fighting for? Are those principles worth following? Because what he did was Martin Luther King fundamentally understood what Americans respond to. And that is a lesson from the Declaration of Independence. You see, deep down, Americans don't want to hear what you're against. I don't know about you, but I re- my stomach turns every time someone tells me what they're against. Oh, I don't like DC. I don't like the media. I don't like fake news. I don't like the Democrats. I don't like DC- AOC or Ilan Omar. Got it. Don't like, don't like, I'm right there with you. But what's the point of that conversation? Where does that conversation go? Your founders understood that. If you read the Declaration of Independence, read it. When I read it, I I can read pretty much word, word for word quote the Declaration of Independence 
a lot of the time, with the exception of the 27 issues with the king. Because I don't care what they're against. I obviously care in a historical context, and I know roughly what's in there. But they had major issues with the king. But that doesn't interest me. I don't care what you're against. What I care for is what you are for. Because what you are for changed the world. That can happen again. You just have to ask yourself, are these principles that are worth fighting for? Is this a message? Is this a mission you want to sign up for? Because this, if I may quote last week's show, that is the infinite game. This isn't about winning next week, next month, next election. This is about winning major change. Or are you going to play the finite game of, oh, it's all about Trump 2020, baby. That's all it's about. And then when 2020 passes, whether you win or lose, or whether your favorite house person wins or your favorite senator wins or loses, you then move on to 2022, baby. And then 2022 comes and goes, and then all of a sudden, it's 2024, and those poor people in Iowa get bombarded again. And we just go from cycle to cycle to cycle. But I also shared that speech for one other reason. I feel your frustration right now. I feel a lot of frustration going on in your country. I'm right there with you. My frustration is different in the sense of, I see what's happening and I'm 6,000 miles from your East Coast and I can't help. That'll change in the summer. But I feel your frustration. And I feel a lot of people going, I don't think this is ever going to change. I feel a lot of frustration of, how can you change this? How, how can you get the media to be honest? There's a story which we'll talk about in a, in a bit in the next segment, probably in, about Bernie Sanders staffers and about what the Democrats are doing. How can you change that? How can you reason with that? John, you're a logic and reason guy. How can you reason with some of these people? I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. But I shared those great words of Martin Luther King for a different reason. Sometimes major change happens when you believe, or if I may use the words in the speech, when you have a dream, major change happens. There has been times in your history when you have had no hope, yet you've done and acted the right way. And change happened overnight. I would ask you to think back as I asked you at the start of this little monologue. Think of yourself as that black parent. Living in 1940s, 1950s, 1960s America. And think of the same thing you just said about how are you ever going to reach out to them? How are you ever going to get people's hearts to change? These Democrats, these media, fill in the blank. But just change it to relevant to a black person. How are we ever going to reach out to these white people who won't give us our rights? How are we ever going to change the hearts of these people who literally see us as subservient, as some type of helper, as some type of servant, as some type of lower class person to them based on the color of our skin? How are we ever going to live in America where a black man can become president? How are we ever going to live where the black man can have a prosperous future? How are we ever going to live in a world where black people have the same opportunities as white people. How are we ever going to do this? 
and ask yourself, as hard as it is, would you be able to see, yes, it will happen? Because what I want you to think of is try and think of all the emotions you would have as that black person living in 1913, 1914, 1950, 1960s America, and then transport it to recent times. And ask yourself, how or what could you have told yourself at that time to make you believe real change was possible? That you could live in an America where the highest paid basketball player, who a man who changed the sport more than anyone else, wasn't a white person. It was a black person, Michael Jordan. I would ask you to think of as that black person who would think, how can the person who will change golf and make more money for himself and for anyone else and for the whole tour is not a white man. It was a black man called Tiger Woods. I would ask you to think as that person thinking, how could anyone ever go to the White House? How could any black man ever be president? And then think of whether you like him or whether you hate him. Thinking of Barack Obama as President of the United States. And look at all the positions that have been held by black people. You have Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, just to name a few in politics. You have business owners. You have black people earning more money than as ever before. It's now got to the point. Imagine what you must have felt with your earthly possessions in 1930, 1940, 1950, 1960. And you now have a boxer called Floyd Mayweather literally sitting in front of a long table with stacks of $100 bills. How does change happen? I don't know. But we need to start planting the seeds. We need to start planting the seeds for our future, for our kids' future. Because if you start holding the course, if you start giving up, if you start thinking this is as good as it gets, guess what? That is what will happen. This is as good as it gets. But if we start dreaming again, if we start looking forward to tomorrow, if we can put all the outrage and the phony bullcrap aside and actually understand what is critically important, What is critically important to our future? And let's start fighting for that. And let's start changing minds. Let's start changing hearts. And let's start changing souls. Because I will give you the statistic that proves what your people are really like. The statistic that no one ever shares about Martin Luther King's speech that I had a dream. Where he shared it in D.C. Think of the miracle that speech had to happen, that what took for that speech to happen. 1963, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no email, there was no cell phones, there was no WhatsApp, there was no Instagram. Yet, for some reason, some miracle, all these men and women poured onto the mall to listen to a black pastor speak about civil rights. That's a miracle. But you also want to know the power of telling people what your four holds, and especially holds in America. The statistic no one ever shares, 25%. What does 25% represent? 25% of the people who turned up that day were white. If America was so racist, if America was so filled with hate, if America was so filled with anger... Why would 25% of the people who turned up that sweltering hot day in D.C. 
who are white, who have those civil rights, turn up to listen to a black pastor speak about earthly civil rights. Because he told America what he was for. And Americans responded by going, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's what we're for. It doesn't matter what color you are. And lastly, the last question, which pales in comparison and explains exactly the history of Martin Luther King. Will you choose the path of Martin Luther King? Because last Monday, y'all had a nice holiday and oh, we'll all remember Martin Luther King. Will you choose his path? Will you choose his path forward and his principles and follow his principles as an example? Or will you continue on the path and forget the lesson that has never really been fully embraced of why Malcolm X lost? Because Martin Luther King wasn't the only great preacher of the day, wasn't the only person speaking about civil rights, wasn't only the only person speaking about the injustices black people faced. There was also Malcolm X. Malcolm X was preaching, get Whitey, get him, let's get vengeance. Let's beat them up. Let's, if the police beat us, but we'll beat them up. If Whitey beats us, we'll kill them. Yet Malcolm X doesn't have a federal holiday. Malcolm X isn't remembered today. A lot, many, many people, if they don't know history, don't know who Malcolm X is. But you all know who Martin Luther King is. You all remember, I have a dream. I have a dream. Which path do you choose? I want to thank everyone for listening and I hope you enjoy this show and hope you keep enjoying the show um, going forward, especially as there's a lot of stuff we got to talk about in 2020. There's a new show released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. We're on most uh, platforms out there. If you search for Freedom's Disciple, um, also if you happen to listen on Apple, please leave us a rating and review. Apple is by far our biggest um, place people find us and new people find us by the algorithm. So if you leave a rating and review, even if you don't listen on Apple, please consider leaving it. Also, just a programming note, and there's a few changes which I don't want to bore you with today because I've got a lot of things I want to talk to you about. But we're making some changes behind the scenes, and I'll talk to you about them going forward. But we're not going to be on some platforms going forward. Um, they're they're streamlining lining a lot of services in the blaze. So um, we're not going to be on. I think it's SoundCloud and Omni going forward. But if you look for us, we'll be there. And if you don't, if you're on a platform that you don't see us on um, going forward, just please keep looking out for us. We're not going anywhere. This show isn't going anywhere. This show has got a lot of plans going forward, and this show is going to make a big difference in America in 2020. With that being said, I want to talk to you, follow on from what I was speaking to you about Martin Luther King and two principles that I think are very important to understand that we need to ask ourselves. Is it important or is it a good principle to give people the benefit of the doubt? You know, I watched your... I I look at your news every day and many times a day and I read what's going on and I see what's happening and I see the way the media portrays people and I get the frustration that you guys have because I I don't have the answer of how to deal with the media. You know, honestly, if, if, if I was given advice or giving advice to people in the, without political influence who didn't need to know, I'd say just switch off the mainstream media because you get nothing from it. 
I got to read it because of this show and because I, I need to be educated for, for you guys. I want to give you the best show. I want to know what's been said. I want to know what principles have been discussed. And I, I, I need to know about it. And you deserve that. You give me an hour of your time or 90 minutes of your time every week. The, the least I can do is be educated and know what's happening in your country and, you know, be able to talk about it and put it in perspective. But I watched the unbelievable... I'm just going to call it what I, as I see it, flat out lies and spin and distortion about how this rally was going to happen last Monday. And I watched it from all the media going, oh my God, the white supremacists are back. Oh my God, all these gun people and they're going to, they're going to have all their AR-15s and these assault rifles and they're just going to all of a sudden start killing people and it's not going to good and it's not going to end well and oh my God. And then they had all these advisories, don't stay away from it. It's not going to happen. It's going to end badly. We're all going to die. And all the fear mongering. And then Monday comes. And Virginians and people from out of state also joined up with Virginians to say, don't infringe on my Second Amendment rights. And what happened? Amazing, all these people who are pro-gun people, all these people who are actually carrying guns, not one of them went off. Because the media wants to paint you as extremists. The media wants to paint you as some type of radical ideologue. At the same time, thanks to Project Veritas, you now have two staffers. Yes, they're low-level staffers, belonging to Bernie Sanders. They were like, yeah, let's just kill all the rich people. Let's just get them. This is the same campaign that had someone work for who shot up a baseball field. And they're still working. So I get your frustration. I think this is vile. I think this is disgusting. I think this is wrong. And as someone who, quote unquote, works for an organization that doesn't exactly get fair press. How many times have I had to read articles from the mainstream media about the company I work for going bust? I'm friends with a man in the company who gets lambasted by all sides, who never gets a day of fair press in his life. I get your frustration. In fact, I join you in being pissed off. But let's talk about the fundamental principle. Because we can talk about being angry and frustrated with the media. But let's talk about the principle of something we can learn from. Can we learn from giving people the benefit of the doubt? That maybe, you know what, maybe you're not as bad as you say you are. Maybe we're not as bad as everyone. All this rhetoric on, oh, you have a difference of opinion to me. The reason I ask this principle is because I ask you to look at your social media. How many times do we see people today give people the benefit of the doubt? And I, when I say benefit of the doubt and people give benefit of the doubt, I want to be crystal clear. I have very little interest in many ways of giving politicians the benefit of the doubt because it's all one big game. It's all just all about getting power. AOC this week revealed this, you know, when she spoke about business. I don't necessarily want your money. I just want the power and influence that you have. That's what all politics is, left or right, top or bottom, conservative, constitutionalist, or liberal, progressive Democrats. It's all about power. It's all about that money, baby. 
You look at all these politicians who go in and, you know, people like Bernie Sanders who, or Michelle Obama and Barack Obama is probably a more recent example where, you know, they went in with student loan debts and now they're all of a sudden buying these 10 million pound houses on Martha's Vineyard. Amazing how that happens after eight years of being a president, isn't it? On a salary of what, $400,000 a year? Amazing how you have student loans before you go in and then all of a sudden you're buying Martha's Vineyard. You know? That's not what an average person who earns 400 grand a year can buy. Sorry. There's not even bankers who can get there. But you're Barack Obama. Hey, guess what? You get to do it. But it's all a game, whether you're left or right, whether you've got, you had all these laws years ago. There was a, I think it was 2010, 2011. There was a big scandal about insider trading. All this is politics, whether it's Republican or Democrats, all the same. I have no interest in talking about the media. What I do want to talk about is the supporters of people. You know, the, the average person on the ground is giving them the benefit of the doubt going, you know what? You know what? You're, n- yes, you may vote a certain way, but you're not a socialist. You're not a revolutionary that maybe we can have these conversations. Or is it just best to yell at each other? Is it just best to go, you sit down and shut up because, oh, you'd vote for, you'd consider voting for Joe Biden. You're an anarchist. You hate America. You're unpatriotic. As someone who loves your nation, who salutes your principles, who at the end of every show speaks about America being great because Americans are good. I don't speak about Republican Americans or conservative Americans or liberal Americans. I speak about Americans. Is giving people the benefit of the doubt going, you know what, maybe guess what? Maybe you vote in an uneducated way. You vote Democrat because you always voted Democrat. You vote Democrat because you don't like the Republicans. You vote Democrat because you like a certain policy. Which, by the way, by their own words, everyone did in 2016. If you listen to people justify their vote for Donald Trump, you heard this in all sections of people on social media. I voted for him because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. I voted for him because of the jobs and the economy. I voted him for, for he was pro-life. I voted for him... Because he was pro-Israel. I voted for him because of Supreme Court justices. Just because you voted for him for those reasons doesn't mean you endorse everything he does, says, and thinks. Maybe it's the same for the left. Maybe, just maybe, giving them the benefit of the doubt and actually having a conversation would be a healthy thing. I ask this because you're entering times where the left are really starting to reveal who they are. And when I say those words, I want to be crystal clear so there is no misunderstanding. I said the left. I have a lot of things in common with quote-unquote old-school liberals. Because in many ways, I am a classic liberal if we want to throw around labels. Old-school liberals believe in free speech. Principles like that. Leaving people alone. That is an old-school liberal tenet. I know it's not modern-day liberalism and leftism. But there is a difference between liberal and leftist. But the left are starting to show who they are. Now, we have two choices. If you're on the right or if you're independent or you just want to have a better and more prosperous tomorrow. We can sit on our high throne and do what they do to us every single time that they did to us in Virginia this week. And just look at them and go, they're all the same. They're all revolutionaries. They're all extremists. They're all ideologues. And they're the problem with America. Or we can say, let's give people the benefit of the doubt. Let's actually have conversations. 
Let's do something they would never do for us. Let's actually have a conversation to go, hey, guess what? Let's actually, I don't know, correctly identify the enemy, quote-unquote, if I may use the language. Hey, you're an extremist. Yeah, you're a problem. Hey, you're not. You're stupid. You're an ideologue. You're misinformed. You're voting for one reason. You're a one-issue voter. You're voting because your parents voted Democrat. Hey, maybe, can I talk to you about certain principles? And let's see, have conversations. Because what I see happening in your country right now is the left are all socialist hippie who want abortion on demand, and the right are all racist, sexist, uh, homophobic, uh, white supremacist, Nazi-loving people. I don't know any person on the right who's any of those things. What do you choose? That's the first principle. The second principle is something I want to share a story with you. And I have to change some of the details in this story because I can't let, you know, I don't want to out the person that shared this in confidence. I had a conversation with someone last week. And this person is having a few problems in their job. And this person made a mistake in their job. And while it's, I don't know the ins and outs of their company, quote unquote, it's it's not like a oopsie, you know. I didn't I I didn't bring the boss the coffee this morning at nine a.m. I I didn't answer the phone when it rang three times. It rang five times. It's not a small mistake. It's it's not like it's not the world is going to end. It's not like I pushed a red button, you know. It's a mistake. But this person said, you know, what should I do? And I said, I know what I'd do, but I'm I'm stupid. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm different. You own up to it. You go, hey, I made this mistake. This person didn't take the advice and is struggling and is basically hoping to bury that mistake, is hoping to bury it because she doesn't have the confidence to go, I've made this mistake. What can I do? And this situation over the last couple of days has escalated. And basically, you know, I'm sure you have the saying over there, you know, you're digging your own grave and it's just getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because they're afraid to admit the mistake and they're digging a grave that's going bigger and bigger and bigger because you've got to cover up, you know, not only have you got to cover up the mistake, you now have to cover up the lie and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And ultimately, while that conversation was extremely interesting, and I don't want to go into the details of what the company was or who it was or the person involved and the people involved, it, sh- it shared a very interesting dynamic to me. Because, again, I'm no expert. I don't work in their industry. I don't know the company, you know, ins and outs. I don't know what their boss is like. But the mistake, while, you know, not tiny, could have been easily rectified with a, a few apologies, a phone call, you know, to the people involved, and, you know, you could have rectified it. It probably would have cost a bit, a small bit of money, but you could have rectified it. We all make mistakes. We're not robots. But ultimately, what that person revealed to me was they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe in their surroundings, in their environment to go, I've made this mistake. And while there will be, I don't know how this situation ends, I'll keep you posted, um... I don't know how the situation ends for my friend, but it doesn't end well. But while it's a reflection on them, or through their fear and through their the way they're acting, 
It's also a bad reflection on the employers and the people and the managers because they they haven't, whether it's their fault or anyone else's fault, they haven't created an environment that says, you know what, if you make a mistake, we can fix it. That you're safe, don't worry. We, you know, just tell us. They haven't created that safe environment for the, the job. Why am I talking to you about this story? You were just talking to me about Martin Luther King, and now all of a sudden you're gone off on, you know, about your friend having a problem at work. Well, where's the, where's the link, John? Let me tell you what the link is. It's about feeling safe. How many times do you feel safe and vulnerable to admit something you don't know? How many times has someone asked you a question going, oh, you know about this, right? Yeah, of course I know about this. I haven't got a clue. What were they talking about? We all have those. We need to have these discussions. I bring this up because I talk about social media. Are we creating a safe, healthy environment for people to be vulnerable on social media? And when I say vulnerable, I don't mean vulnerable as in uh, vulnerable to attack. I mean vulnerable in, hey, I don't have a set opinion. I'm open to listen to other people's opinion on a certain topic and to have that discussion. Or are we all just getting so protective? And this is a brain function where we get, you know, the brain has certain functions, whether we know it or not, whether we can verbalize it or not, whether we can understand it. The synapses go, if it thinks it's going to be attacked, it gets very defensive. Look around at social media today. Is everyone really defensive on social media? And is terrified of being attacked? Is terrified of the spotlight shining on them? They don't know about the debt. They don't know about the Constitution. They don't know about the Declaration of Independence. They don't know about economics. They don't know about trade. They don't know about foreign policy. But also, do we create an environment that says, if someone actually is vulnerable... That they won't be lambasted from pillar to post going, this is how you should think. And if you don't think this way, you're the problem. You're going to be one of those people over there. You know, those people that we don't like. These are the questions we need to start asking ourselves. Do we create an environment online that actually is able and enables us to make major changes in the future? Or do we all just resort to talking points and insulting others and never let anyone let their guard down? Because if we want to actually have these conversations, it's not going to happen tomorrow. You know, I see some of my friends where they listen to this show and they go, I took your advice, I reached out to someone who disagreed with me and I'm like, oh, good for you, how did that go? I spent 20 minutes talking to them, it was like talking to a brick wall. I'm like, you think it, you think you're that powerful and that amazing, and I mean this the greatest respect. That you think in 20 minutes talking to someone and tweeting someone or messaging someone or talking to them, you can change their mind that has been formed over five years, 10 years, a year. You think you can just erode everything they know and rewrite their code of what they believe? It takes time. It's not like you plant a seed and then all of a sudden, boom, two minutes later, the, the, the tree is there, the shrub is there and the plants are ready to be picked. It's got to take time to grow. It's got to take time to settle. All we got to do is plant seeds and hope that someday they become great bushes and great trees and great plants. These are the questions you have to start asking yourself about how you're going to live. Because it doesn't matter how I'm going to live or how anyone else is going to live. All that matters is how are you going to live? What America are you going to work for? 
Because ultimately, it doesn't matter about success or failure. Like we spoke about last week, success or failure is based around the finite game. Winning and losing is a finite game purpose. It has a certain set of rules. What is winning? Oh, well, we get 10,000 people to vote our way, or we get 10,000 people to attend a rally, or we get someone in a, into office. That's all finite. The infinite game is it doesn't matter about winning or losing. It's about doing the right thing and making the sacrifice. Because if we start planting those seeds, look at the change you have made. Anytime you need to remember about how change is possible, just look at the history of your nation. Let me give you some snapshots of history that you can look at. You can research yourself for whatever takes your fancy about overcoming the odds, about planting a seed. The Declaration of Independence. It took a lot to get that Declaration of Independence signed. It took a lot to win the Revolutionary War. There was time and time again where you lost battles and you had under George Washington literally challenging and and battling the British, failing, retreating and fighting them again, failing and retreating. And this happened time and time and time again. You just didn't declare your independence and they go, hey, we got to beat Britain and then beat Britain. took a lot of work and effort. And in many cases, it took a big influence from the French. It took an outside force to really help you. Then you think about signing and getting the Constitution that everyone seems to love today. Our friends on the left can't stop talking about the Constitution today. But you declared your independence in 1776, yet it took the 1787 a whole 11 years That's two Trump terms and a bit left over to get to the Constitution. Think of that in that terms. It then took another four years to get your Bill of Rights. It took another four years of Trump. Can you imagine that? Then you had the war against Britain again in 1812. Then you overcame slavery in the Civil War where you had brother against brother, father against son. Look at all that change. Then you had all the progressive era and Woodrow Wilson and Theodore Roosevelt because Republicans were the first progressives. You had the stock market crash. Look at, oh my God, the stock market crash. The world is going to end. What's going to happen? Well, guess what? It overcomes. Then you had Nazism. The world faced it. Hitler. Oh my God. Really bad guy. Concentration camps. Pearl Harbor. How are you going to overcome this? Well, guess what? You did. The greatest generation lived of English people, of Americans, of French. Yes, I can't believe I just said greatest generation included the French, but yes, they deserve credit. Then you had the 60s. We're going to the moon. Really? We're going to the moon? Yeah, we're going to the moon by the end of this decade. 1969, one step, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Planting that American flag, baby. That's the American country I know. Because you're seeking to plant seeds to change. Then you get to the Cold War, where everyone left and right is going, oh, you know what, we just need to accept the taunt. Just need to accept Russia as they are. Just accept the wall. We'll be fine. Just Let's just all be friends. Better red than dead. Rather live on my knees than die on my feet. All this type of language from the media, from inside your country. Ronald Reagan comes along and goes, Mr. President, tear down this wall. And what happened? The wall fell. This is your country. This is your nation. This is the principles you fought for. This is the change you can make. This is a change whether you're an Irishman, whether you're an American, whether you're an Englishman. This is the change you can make if you believe in principles. 
The principle shall set you free. It's just up to you whether you want to fight for them. Whether you think they're important enough to share. And share in an educational way, not in an angry way, not in a passionate way. Go listen to the words I spoke about at the start of this show, Martin Luther King. Was there anger in those words? Or was there a lot of passion? two key principles and two stories really i mentioned the cold war just at the end of that segment i want to share a story with you about i think that's important for everyone to understand and it's a story i've shared a couple of times on this show but it bears repeating and it's understanding who won the cold war because if you read the history books and you hear, you know, the, the boring history, oh, Ronald Reagan won the Cold War, oh, Margaret Thatcher won the Cold War, John Paul won the Cold War, oh, Mr. President, tear down this wall. Are they all important? Yes. Absolutely. They all played their critical role because it's not just a one-man team. It wasn't just Ronald Reagan. It wasn't just Maggie Thatcher. It wasn't just John Paul, a great pope. They all played their little part. They all had their role to play. And if America is to survive and prosper like never before, which I believe is so possible and is so close to happening, if we all just do our part, we all have our part to play. But while they all played key, key parts that everyone saw on the history book, will remember by name. It is absolutely critical to understand they did not win the Cold War. The American people won the Cold War. And that's not me just saying, oh, well, America won the Cold War because it was America versus Russia and all this different stuff. No, the American people won the Cold War. And I want to explain to you why. The American people won the Cold War because if you listen and understand Ronald Reagan's conferences, press conferences from those days, listen to his speeches, listen to his rhetoric, the words changed. The stories changed, the situations changed, the core message was the exact same thing. And Ronald Reagan, through his amazing delivery, his amazing tone, his amazing diction, just the way he was able to tell a story, craft a narrative, shared one story, and it was all based around one question. The Cold War came down to one question, and he asked Mr. Gorbachev this time and time and time again. And that question was this. Mr. Gorbachev, I've now become President of the United States. Under my leadership, we are releasing the American people. We are letting them keep more of their money. We're reducing the rules and regulations. We're even in, you know, increasing oil exploration. We are letting them pursue their happiness yet again. We are letting them innovate. Mr. Gorbachev, you treat your people like second-class citizens under communism. We can talk about warheads and Star Wars and all these different plans and all these different situations and all these cool little words like mad or mutually assured destruction. But Mr. Gorbachev, this battle, this war comes down to one question. Which set of people will out-innovate the other? Will it be the American people 
who are allowed to pursue their God-given rights and pursue their happiness because they want the financial reward of a better and more prosperous tomorrow while also serving their country? Or will it be the people that you have where they produce and innovate out of fear that if they don't do the right job, you know what will happen? They'll go to the gulag and never be heard from again. They'll go to Siberia. They'll, their families may be punished. They won't get the right treatments. Mr. Gorbachev, which set of people is more happy or more content and more willing to outwork and out-innovate the other? That's what this all boils down to. And ultimately, the answer was always the American people. The answer was always going to be a free people. You see, when you live in America, not so much today because you've reneged on so many of your promises from your forefathers and the Constitution is violated, but you still have that opportunity for rags to riches. You still have that opportunity to make a big difference in society. You have that natural freedom. You have that natural flair for innovation. It's not crippling. The government doesn't cripple you as much as it does in other nations. The reason I share this story today is, one, because I like Ronald Reagan and I like sharing Ronald Reagan stories, but secondly, to talk to you about the world we live in. If you were honest, if you could, you know, if we could get into that DeLorean and, you know, with Marty McFly and go travel up to 88 miles an hour and we just went back to, you know, that far, far, far time, long time ago, like 2010, 2011. And I said to you, just paint me a picture of America and the world today with regards to innovation and technology. Would you be able to think in your wildest dreams where we are? What happened? How did that happen? Did that happen because some government bureaucrat was sitting around going, Hey, guess what, guys? I have this great idea. It's going to make the government a lot of money. We're going to mandate companies make this. Or was it because someone in the private sector going, I have this idea. And I'm going to put all my blood, sweat, and tears and my equity in it. And I'm going to try and get other people's equity in it to make this dream a reality. Whether it's a product or a service. What is the answer to that question? I will always be a person who stands on the side of innovation. Not of government, but of free men and women. And again, I don't care whether you're black, white, orange. You could be the color of the freaking rainbow. You have these rights. You have a right, God-given right to pursue your happiness. We have so much problems in our world today. I look at the problems and I'll even use some examples of from our friends on the left, all the hysteria that's going on right now. And ask yourself, who is going to solve these problems? Is it going to be government or is it going to be free men and women who will out-innovate each other? I saw a story on the Daily Mail earlier this week. Now, while this is not always great... You know the way I wear one of these things, uh, a Fitbit? It's a piece of technology, and I'll be honest, my Fitbit costs, I think it was like 30 bucks. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bum. I'm, 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 well, I'm not a bum. I'm, I'm a cheapskate. You know, I'm not spending mega, mega amounts of money. Every penny I have goes into savings for this trip at the end of the summer. But I paid 30 bucks for this, and it's amazing. It tells me the time. It tells me the date. It tells me the day. It tells me how many steps I've done. It tells me how many kilometers I've walked. It tells me how many calories I've burned. It tells me my blood pressure and my heart rate. And it tells me how many hours I slept last night. And then if I go into the app, it tells me whether it was good sleep or bad sleep. This is a 30 buck Fitbit. 
on my arm. It's cheap. It looks cheap. It's not one of these fancy $300 iWatches and all, or whatever it is called, the Apple Watch. It's just cheap. I was reading a story today where they reckon in 10 years or 5 years, maybe it was, where they'll have these Fitbits, where they'll literally, they'll have it on your hand, and it'll be able to tell you two days in advance of when you're going to be sick. Because it will see your blood elevate in whatever, whatever way it monitors you. Be able to say, hey, you're going to get the flu in two days. You might want to, you know, preempt it and get these different things. This is the technology we are on the cusp of. Now, there is a bad side to this of, well, pe- private companies are going to have all your details. I I don't wear this Fitbit at night because I don't want the this knowing when I get up and when I go to sleep and when I'm good sleep and when I'm bad sleep. Don't want to know. I don't want a private company knowing I go pee-pee at 3 a.m. in the morning and then get on my Twitter machine like Donald Trump. Just, I don't want them to have it. I just let all of you know it, but I don't want them to have it. So there is a bad side. But I talk about innovation. Who's going to solve the problems? You know, there's a great chance the Federal Reserve will have zero power over everyone in five years, ten years, maybe twenty years with cryptocurrencies, with Bitcoin. I don't know whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's another cryptocurrency or whether the the Federal Reserve, you know, digitized its American dollar, which they're talking about right now. I don't know the answers. But technology and innovation will solve the problem of the Federal Reserve. Because what you have right now is a lot of stock, a lot of money in a Ponzi scheme with the Federal Reserve because they just put another $90 billion into into Wall Street. You look at the problems our friends love on the left, love to talk about climate change. Oh my God, we need to be carbon neutral, carbon zero, carbon, all these different things. What's going to solve that? Our friends on the left will always talk about, oh, government, and we need to stop these things. We have the solutions right now if you want to go carbon neutral. It's called nuclear power. For whatever reason, they don't like it. But what is going to make zero carbon emissions possible? Is it government mandates? Is it more rules and regulations? More telling people what to do? Or is it innovation? Is it understanding that by innovation, by power of private companies, by power of millionaires and billionaires seeking a bigger profit, that we have seen major changes? How we've seen cars become more fuel efficient? How has that happened? Government rules or innovation? I will always be a person who sides on the stand, on the stands on the side of innovation and letting free men and women who pursue their happiness, who pursue their happiness with an idea, with a product or a service, seeking financial or personal gain out innovating a government bureaucrat. The second thing I want to talk to you about and I want to touch on briefly is a situation from Ireland. One of the reasons I am so passionate about your nation is because I see the principles, having read so much of your founding fathers, read so much of your history, understanding why you're exceptional, why you are unique. And one of the questions I always get asked is, why don't you do more in Ireland? Why don't you help Irish people become free and just leave America to America? Because America has a roadmap. America has a situation where you can paint a brighter tomorrow. There is no one in Ireland who shared, or anywhere else in the world, who understands the American creed, the American ideals that your founders fought for, that your founders some died for. That idea that man is meant to be free. The Irish election was, a snap election was called last week. 
And the one good thing I will say about Irish elections and elections in England is, you know, elections are really short. It's really intense. It's really furious, but they're really short. It's a snap election. It'll be over in three weeks. Three weeks. We're done, baby. See ya. Thanks for playing. Adios. Bye. It's none of this, you know, we're going to campaign in months and months and months and months and months in Iowa. Then we move on to the next state, and then we move on to the next state, and then we move on to the next state, and then move on to the next state. And then we have Super Tuesday, and then we move on to the next state, maybe. And then eventually, then you have the nominee. And then it goes all over again because it's 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 not, that's the primary. It's now time for the actual election. The election that matters. It's not this long, drawn-out process. It's three weeks. And there are many things that are happening in the Irish debate right now, and there are problems that are worldwide, but I want to talk to you about a few of them, because I want to talk to you about the mindset and about the principles behind them. There are many things that are defined in the Irish politics, and I want to talk to you about the election, the principles. The first issue that's been all over the news, and some people are just sick of it, but I think it's important to discuss because it shows you the mindset. And that issue is Brexit. You know, it's beyond me how politicians will always seek doom and gloom. Oh, the world is going to end. I saw this week the doomsday clock were 20 seconds, or sorry, two minutes from midnight. Sorry, 100 seconds from midnight. And when it hits midnight, we're all dead. Oh, this great doomsday clock, and it's never been closer to midnight than it is now. The Irish politicians are all running around, oh my God, Brexit, 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 oh my God, it'll it'll hurt the Irish economy, it'll kill the Irish economy, we'll be all dead, there'll be a recession, no, there'll be a depression, oh my God, we're all going to have a famine, we're going to have mass immigration again. All the rhetoric that goes with Brexit. No one ever seems to want to look and kind of go, hey, Brexit could be a really good thing for Ireland. Brexit could be a really good thing. You know, this idea of, hey, guess what? They, you know, they don't, everyone says Britain will go through problems because they're not part of the European Union. Well, guess what? All those businesses can come to Ireland. If I was a politician, I wouldn't be in the news going, oh my God, Brexit's going to potentially kill Ireland. I'd be going, uh, business cards going, yeah, I, I, I understand Britain decided to leave the European Union. That's on them. We're not English people. We can't vote. We don't have an opinion on it. Britain, you, England decided, let England do what England wants to do. However, if you want a low corporation tax of 12.5%, the lowest in the European Union, you want to be part of Europe, you want to trade in Europe, but you don't want to be part of the European continent because they're all different. We're Irish people. We love people. We're welcoming Cade, me to fault you. Come on in. You bring that money. Here's my business card. Come on in. Do you think that's happening? Nah. Mindset. Why see opportunity when you can sell fear? When you Why sell opportunity and hope when you can sell despotism? And sell, oh my God, this is why you need me in power. I'm the only one who can fix this. I'm the only one who can stay the course through Brexit. The second thing that's big is housing. Ireland, for the last couple of years, every so often, has a homeless crisis, quote-unquote. Now, am I mocking homelessness? No. My heart goes out to poor people. My heart goes out to people on the streets. My heart goes out to anyone who goes through financial stress and financial hard time. I've been there, and I would not wish it on my worst enemy. It is not fun being poor. However, why is it always the government's job to fix things? Over here, we don't have the understanding of what the role of government is. 
And because we have been so entrenched and so ingrained to think, oh, well, there's a problem in society, that's government's job. Even the Catholic Church doesn't speak out about this. I find it, I'm not Catholic, so I can't speak for Catholics, but if I was head of a church and I saw this homeless crisis and believing what I believed, and I saw government going, we need to do all these things, I'd be going, no, we need to. That's Christianity. That's in the Bible, by the way. That was a message of Jesus. Hey, don't don't tell other people what to do. You do it. That's what we should be doing. Especially if you're a church leader or a church pastor or a priest or, a, I don't know, pastor of your soul. Whose responsibility is homelessness? Whose responsibility is poverty? Is it the government's or is it the people themselves and people around them and volunteers helping for a better tomorrow? Now, is there charity in Ireland? Absolutely. Some very charitable organizations, some very charitable people. But as a whole, we always still look to government. We don't take the responsibility because it's so much easier to pass the book going, that's their problem, let them deal with it. Rather than going, no, it's not your problem, it's our problem, we got to fix it. This is another big issue. But by far the biggest issue is the lack of principles in politics in Ireland. And this is what inspires me so much to get behind this microphone each and every week with you guys to talk to you about principles because the two major parties are pretty much the exact same, but they have one major, couple of major disagreements. But they all disagree over policy, not principles. They all believe in government. They all believe government has a responsibility on, on to fix everything that they think needs to be fixed. They all believe government has no unlimited power. It can do what it wants. If the people elect me and I decide to do things, guess what? I can do it. Because, hey, I'm, I live in a democracy. I live in this great bastion of, of, of democracy. And I, the government is the, is the king. The government is the nanny. But the one big disagreement we have, and it's getting destroyed in the media, the one party who dared speak out for keeping, is on taxes. So they have this debate of, because the Irish economy is doing so well, you know, they're starting to get a point where they have some extra money. And one of the parties, the right-wing party, decided, uh, well, what we should do is, for any extra bit of money we have, we'll give two-thirds in tax cuts to people, let them keep more of their own money, and one-thirds on spending, spending more money, you know, more services, more buses, more beds, more housing, more this, more that. And the other party went, nah, that's, that's too radical, we don't like that. And they even had opinion polls of the Irish people who said, yeah, we don't like that either. What we want is more than two-thirds spending and maybe a third tax cuts but not really it's amazing to me that people have been so entrenched and so ideological ideologically taught because that's what it is they're taught that's the way life is that government can spend your money better than you can that it has become so criminal for you to go you know what you have your money you earn your money you got to keep it yet for most of these people who are poor if you said to me, hey, guess what? You don't get to pay taxes next year. They would bite your hand off. If you said to them, if you said to them, oh, there's a millionaire down there. Guess what? They won the same lotto as you did. They don't pay in taxes next year. They would lose their ever-loving minds because of class warfare, because of division. Because we don't base anything on principles. We base things on policies. 
You want to know why America needs to refine its roots, why I'm going to talk to you for so much this year, understanding why you're exceptional, why you're unique, and basically been a cheerleader for you remembering those principles and charting a better tomorrow. Not going back, but charting a better tomorrow. Because America, quite simply, cannot become like Ireland, cannot become a democracy, cannot become where government is king, where government is your nanny. If that happens, guess what? You're just like every other country. Government can do anything at once. And we just have to live at the whims and the dictates of, well, what did the Republicans say? What did the Democrats say? There is no limit on power. That is not a healthy situation. Because also, while I faced this in Ireland, I also faced a growing mandate for Europe to take more and more power from the Irish government. And this is bringing rise to far, far extreme parties. And this is starting to happen in Ireland. And we'll have this dog and pony show yet again of all these different parties saying, oh, we're different, we're different. We we, we want the same policies as them, but we're different. The battle is not between left and right. The battle isn't between mainstream parties and less mainstream parties. The battle isn't even who the media deems sane and moderate and extreme and ideologically driven. The battle is what you think the role of government is. Is the role of government to give and provide things for you, to help society as it deems fit, and as you deem fit if how you elect people? Or is it the government's fundamental role to understand they have a role in this play? And their role is this, that each man, whether they're black, white, gay, straight, young, old, have certain inalienable rights. And we can discuss which rights come from God and which rights don't. We can have that discussion. I'll start with the Bill of Rights and then probably discuss a few more. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But it is government's role, whether you think there's one right from God or a hundred rights from God, it is government's role not to give rights or take rights, but to fundamentally understand its role is to protect those rights. Your government, whether you like it or not, your constitution is exceptionally different to every other nation. That is the limit on role of government in America. In every other nation, the role of government is to be your nanny, to be your boss, to go, you know what? You can't do that. I'm looking out for you. You can't do that. It goes against the laws of nature, but also, since everyone wants to talk about being a Christian country, it also goes against the rules of Christianity. God's greatest gift to mankind was free choice. If God, the ultimate creator, the omniscient, almighty, ever-knowing, all-knowing God who knows everything goes, I'm going to give you free will. You can love me or hate me. You can praise me or you can blaspheme me. There will be consequences to your choices, but you get that free choice. If God is willing to do that, what? who are we as man to go, hey, guess what? I know God gave you free choice to do whatever you want, to think whatever way you want, to do, act the way you want, to live the life you want. But I'm as I'm not God. I'm lesser than him, but I can tell you what to do. That is the fundamental questions we have to ask ourselves. What future do you want to chart for tomorrow? These are questions you need to figure out, and these are questions we need to answer over the next couple of months and couple of weeks and several shows. Because I will be making the case that the answer is not more like Europe, is not more like Ireland, is not more like the Irish and the English government, is not more like Australia. The answer is leaving people alone, letting people chart their own course, letting people pursue their God-given rights of happiness. If that means 
doing things we don't like, then that means they get to do things they don't like because I don't have a right to control them. I hope today's show has given you something to think about, something to ponder on. Please consider sharing it with your family and your friends. That's how the show will grow. As always, we finish up each and every week the same way. We salute your police officers, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets, especially those vets who are are still overseas, especially in the Middle East, who are still on high alert because of what's going on in Iran. And lastly, we salute you, the great American people. Remember, when I salute you, I'm not saluting Republicans or Democrats or independents or conservatives or liberals or progressives. I'm saluting all of you. America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because of Trump. You're not great because of Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff or Donald Trump or any of them. You're great because of your people. You're great because of your ideals. You're great because of your principles. Because each and every one of you pursuing your God-given rights and pursuing your happiness has made the world a better place. And that is something we should all celebrate. That is all something, something we should cherish and nourish and pass on to future generations. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, y'all have a great week. God bless, and God bless America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.